It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And that is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And uh, as I say, this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And my guest is S.P. Joseph Lyons. And he's here to talk about, well, a number of things. He's a, an author. And uh, he's also an Algonquin, uh, Anishinaabe Algonquin member. And he writes not only children's books, but he also writes in fantasy, sci-fi, romance novels. And uh, he's also a speaker and an Indigenous education advocate. Now, he is a 60s scoop adoptee and an intergenerational survivor of the residential school legacy. He endured abuse and segregation through the child welfare and school systems. And he is the author of the Drux series, the Nutau Tales. Is if I got that uh, correct, uh, Joseph? Yes, that's right. And uh, that trilogy, as well as the Foster Care series, uh, Little Bear and Foster Care series. And he's the uh, co-author of Rosie's Thorns and has been featured in a collaborative and charity publication. So it's a pleasure to have Joseph here to talk about, well, all of those things. But uh, I, I became aware of Joseph through his... Uh, his foster care book. So it's a pleasure to have Joseph here. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. I look forward to uh, chatting with you. And and I noticed that you had a, a bit of a uh, of, of a co-author with you. Uh, you might say uh, <laughs> when I saw you had a parrot sitting on your shoulder. Or- oh yes, right. Um, my bird, my uh, cinnamon green cheek conure kiwi, insists that he goes everywhere I do. So many of my <laughs> uh, my speaks that have been filmed uh, via zoom or teams he's sitting right there on my shoulder so he's become a bit of a celebrity himself i I guess he has and and i would say that uh you know you could almost get a sense uh, if you want to elaborate or take this into the fantasy world we might think that uh it's actually you it's actually he that is actually speaking he's whispering into your ear giving you all the juicy things to say it's funny you say that because I, I would read my own work aloud and he would mumble along. He, you know, he wouldn't say anything coherent, but who knows? Maybe my spirit is picking up what he's saying. Uh, there you he's go. He's actually the author of all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, listen, you know, uh, your background, as we mentioned off the top, uh, being Anishinaabe, Algonquin, but also a, a children's author and a writer in, of course, many areas um, and genres. And, and I'm wondering, where did this all start? Because the first thing that comes to mind for me is writing became an escape for you but i don't know maybe that's maybe i'm mistaken altogether on that front you're absolutely right actually um i was three four years old Uh, i was taken away from my family i was put in foster care it was a terrifying place for me it was uh, an abusive place and i realized very quickly the only safe place i had left was inside my mind Mm. so it started off with um uh, i need a place to get away from all the horrors that i'm enduring so i created this sort of cloud that I, that I could hide in and nobody could get me there. Then I created this warrior with a couple of swords who would protect me against everything I was going through. Then the warrior was protecting the door of a castle I was hidden in and the castle was on a planet and then there were lots of planets and so on. So it's the place I would constantly spend time in whenever life was hard. Even after I got adopted, um, I got bullied a lot at school. I really didn't fit in with the world, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I constantly spent time in this universe that I'd created. And then when I got to uh, probably my 30s, when life had sort of calmed down somewhat, I realized I had enough material that I could actually begin to put this onto paper. 
So I started to write out my trauma, my experiences in a fantasy setting, and it became a narrative therapy actually for yeah, me, sure. where I was able to get closure in areas I couldn't in real life. And um, it was very well received. So I continued to, uh, to add more to the history beforehand, afterwards, and it became the Drux series. Mm. I was going to ask you what came first out of all these uh, different genres. So I appreciate you, you uh, saying that. And I, I'm wondering about the, the tie-in for yourself with the indigenous culture and beliefs. Um, were you, did you have any knowledge of that growing up? Did you have any connection to it at all? Um, I was told through um, my adopted parents who had spoken to workers at CAS that I had indigenous heritage, but they didn't know what or mm. how much. Right. And when I had received my file in adulthood, I had actually been listed on three separate, separate documents, once as Jewish, once as Caucasian, and once as Mexican. <laughs> so there was no consistency in trying to capture who I actually was. Um, when you're somebody, or at least in my case, when you go through the foster system, you lose your family, you lose your entire identity. So then you have to start to try and build your identity. Who, I, who am I? Where do I come from? Mm. Knowing that I was Indigenous was the thing I latched onto. I'm like, that gave me some identity, although I didn't know much about what it was. Mm. And it, again, it wasn't until adulthood after going through my CAS files that I, having a background in sales business and having been a recruiter, a headhunter, I knew how to get information and get a hold of people. So I started this journey of finding out who am I? Where do I come from? Where are my people from? Mm. And I was able to put all the pieces together eventually and figure out that, yeah, I am Anishinaabe Algonquin. My people come from Kitaganzibi, Anishinaabe First Nation. And then in my writing in the drug series, um, it follows a lineage. So one of the books would be essentially my story. And then the two books before are father, grandfather, and then the ones afterwards are children because the generations are important, mm -hmm. but it was a way to make the indigenous part of myself come to life in characters that have to battle monsters and wizards, but also have that strongly rooted identity in what I call the original people, you know, the indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. When you were writing this stuff, it sounded like you said it was is it was a therapy for you. Well, interestingly, I um, <clears throat> I had never dealt with any of my trauma. Um, there seems to be this belief in society that if you have a very very painful experience, you need to keep yourself busy, go work more, distract yourself. And I know it works in the short term, but I f I found in my own case in the long term, you're you're running away from your traumas. And you're never actually dealing with them. And at some point, you'll come to a, a place where you stop and mm. it'll eventually catch up to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I found happened um, for me. So I, I write this book as an opportunity to kind of share my experience, to give a piece of myself out into the world. And then after writing it, it was it was really hard because I had to face all of my traumas that I never had all at once. So it, it, for a while after writing, it was a very negative uh, time for me. However, being able to tell my story, to pass the book around to people and have them say, this is really good. You've done a really great job here. Gave me some of that validation that I'd never really had uh, mm -hmm. in most of my life. You know, growing up in being taken away from a family that had struggles, being in foster care that was very abusive, being bullied a lot at school. I, I just never felt like I belonged or fit in or mattered. So to be able to take your story, put it down on paper, pass it out to people and get validation for it. Mm -hmm was wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
No, and I'm glad you mentioned all that because I was going to say, wow, you've been pretty prolific. You've been writing a lot in all these areas, uh, these different genres. You've got all these novels, a series, you know, in different areas that allowed you to to do that uh, as a as a form of one escape, but then come back and write this again as a as a form of of therapy. Well, I I had uh, found out pretty early on that the world was a scary place and that people were somewhat untrustworthy and I needed to create my own world within a world that mm. I didn't find safe. Mm. And this was a, a way to do that. So I could escape back into it. I could add to it. I could create something within something where I could actually feel um, safe, feel that I mattered, feel or felt that, um, you know, this was something magical and wonderful within a world that I've only ever known to be pretty harsh and scary. So mm. it wasn't even a matter of this is a hobby or mm-hmm. this is something I might do one day. It's this is something I need to do for myself. Right. Otherwise, I'm I'm just kind of falling into the flow and I never, never felt like I fit there anyway. So mm. this was really the only option for me. Right. Now, um, as you look back on this as uh, SB Joseph Lyons now and look back on what you've created through your writings and through the, the different genres that you've created, uh, how do you reflect on it? You know, um, I've come to a point in my life where I can look back at all the different stages I've gone through and I no longer look back with regret or resentment, no harsh thoughts or words to myself. I did the best I could with what I had to work with at the time. And so I can have a sense of peace and understanding for my younger self, remembering where I was, what I knew, what I was capable of, and then what I did with that. And so I think being able to get to a place where I can say, you know what, Um, I forgive myself, I understand myself, and I actually am very proud of myself for what I was able to achieve despite what happened to me. And I, you know, if I could tell anybody, it's, it's a journey. We all travel on it. We all do things that are, we're proud of things. We're not so proud of, but once we get to a certain point where we can set our life up in the way that we want it most, we can look back on ourselves with a certain level of empathy and understanding, which gives us a sense of healing. At least that's what I found. And I was, uh, it's amazing to read through my old work and immediately I know exactly where I was, and what mm-hmm. I was struggling with at the time and grateful to be on the other side and say, I came through that, but I was glad that I was able to express it there. So I can reread my stuff now, not as somebody who's there, but right. as somebody who can kind of nod along while I remember and I understand. Right. At what point through the writing process, did you then think that you had more to offer? And what I mean by that is you become a public speaker. You become a, uh, a writer of children's books. When did the children books start to develop? Uh, a few years ago, a Mohawk elder um, said to me, I've been waiting for you for 20 years. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, I have been waiting for an Indigenous author to come along who has been through the foster system to write books for children that are currently in the foster system. And of course, when an elder asks you to do something, yeah, you right. do it. That's right. So I wrote Little Bear based on my own experience. So I wrote the book as if I was writing it to my three, four-year-old self mm. to say, I understand what you're going through, the feelings you have, the fears you have. The book itself captures the various different kinds of experiences, the, the fears, the confusion, the anger. Some of the homes you're in are nice. Some of them not so nice. Some of the kids you're with are nice. Some of them are not so nice. How you feel um, 
really alone. You want to go home. It introduces um, Indigenous children to the ODR process, the original dispute resolution circle process, where family and community come together in a circle to plan for the child or children in care to let them know that they aren't alone, that their questions get answered, that they have a voice. None of these things existed to me when I was in foster care. So I've written this book to basically say to little Sean, here you go. Here's a manual to help you through this. Here are some resources that are now available to you. But more importantly, it's to give you hope. So that book also has three traditional teachings in it to plant some of those seeds of our culture and history. And then there's also a note at the back from the author saying, I understand what you're going through. I have been there too. Foster care is going to be a very short time for you and you'll be able to go on and do anything you want afterwards. So I think um, I took all the elements that would have mattered to me and I've handed it back down to the kids that are currently in the place I used to be. And from that, it became, um, you know, I would reach out to CAS um, organizations who have Indigenous kids in their care. And I said, this book is available. I'd also be willing to speak to your staff if you're interested. And that kind of just snowballed. Mm -hmm. And I share everything from, you know, pre-contact through um, colonization, residential schools, 60 scoop, current stats for kids in care, and pretty much everything in between, as well as best practices for working with Indigenous communities and families, as well as things like intergenerational trauma, epigenetics, blood memories, things that people just they don't fully understand the impacts of or how they're, how that gets transferred on to the next generation and so on and how to best help people with that situation. So it, it kind of all just sort of fell out of this um, elder's request to write a book. And uh, I feel like it's the best way I can possibly give back is to say that the pain that I went through years and years and years, I, I asked, why me? Why did this happen to me when everyone else got a chance to have a happy home? Why did I have to endure this? Now that I've gotten to the place I am now where I'm helping others through that process, educating the caregivers and the workers, um, that it has such purpose now. If I had to do it again, I would do it again. Mm. Wow. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is S.P. Joseph Lyons, and we're talking to him about, well, his writings. And uh, he does write in various different genres, including uh, children's books, as well as fantasy, science fiction, and romance novels. And he's also a, a speaker and an Indigenous education advocate. And it's a pleasure to have him on the show. Now, he has authored the Drux series, the uh, Nuto uh, Tales trilogy, and the Little Bear in Foster Care series. And uh, there are just some of the things he's done. He's also just told you about how he got into the speaking area of things. Now, uh, Joseph, you mentioned the elder, and I'm wondering... Uh, that this elder who came to you and said he'd been waiting for you for 20 years or someone like you, an Indigenous author, to come along to, to write for kids in foster care that are going through the system now. And as of course we know, uh, right now, uh, that is a, a very big concern because if I'm not mistaken, uh, the the foster care system uh, has many, many Indigenous uh, children in that system. In fact, uh, it, it's almost like a second 60s scoop that's, that's happening from what I understand. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, so currently there's about 150,000 plus Indigenous children in care. And statistically, that's more than we're in residential schools. That's more than uh, even taken during the 60s scoop. So the, the problem 
has not, it has not gotten better. It's gotten worse mm-hmm. as far as indigenous children being removed from families and removed from communities. And, um, something needs to be done about it. Agencies are recognizing that, uh, this is a problem and, and something needs to be done. Workers, I've met a, some amazing workers whose heart really is for the truth and reconciliation and getting mm-hmm. these kids back home to their families and to their communities. So it's still a major problem. It has a lot to do with that intergenerational trauma where you have um, somebody who's very, very broken by a situation. They will pass that trauma on in the DNA as well as through experience to the next generation and the next generation. So brokenness often snowballs itself too until someone in the line has the resources and the strength to say, I'm going to, and I need to break these chains. So this no longer continues on in my family. Right. And unfortunately when you have hundreds of years of being abused and robbed of your culture and your society and your ways it's it takes a lot of a lot of work to get back out of that and back up and strong again i mean we are strong people certainly but it's uh it's a very difficult road to walk back to a healthy place where you can then not only care for yourself but advocate for those around you right and i guess that's the situation we find ourselves in right now under uh the requests of the truth and reconciliation uh to try and uh, build up that on both sides, because the education is needed on both sides. The non-Indigenous people need to of this country need to educate themselves on what has happened so that they completely understand exactly what you were just talking about, the intergenerational trauma, how that gets passed down, not only uh, through the generations, but through the, the uh, DNA. The truth part of truth and reconciliation is so crucially important that the history is taught. Um, I believe in Canadians enough that if they had the full education on Indigenous history, the majority would think, I had no idea, how do we make this right? So mm-hmm. the, the truth piece, uh, education is the most powerful tool we have. The kids are getting it very easily now. Mm-hmm. So the generations that are coming up are, are automatically allies to all the groups that are you know, wanting equality and to be treated right and for the history to be understood. So it's going to come. Uh, educating the adults takes time um, to shift some thought patterns and some ideas. But if if someone is open to say, I'd like to know the history, I'd like to be educated and to understand that's where the, you know, that's where the, the reconciliation will come from the truth being known. Mm. Right. I want to come back to your elder for a moment because I'm just wondering how uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that you must have taken the uh, Little Bear in Foster Care book uh, book series back to uh, this elder that requested you do this at some point and And what was uh, their reaction? Um, you know, it was interesting that um, I kind of kept it all quiet. I wanted to make sure that it was going to be published, that it was going to be a helpful tool before I brought it back. Mm. But I'm the kind of person that if I commit to something, I see it through 100%. Um, I'm very open, honorable, and loyal to something. Um, so uh, I wrote the book, sat on it for a while. I approached goodminds.com, the uh, um, Indigenous publisher on Six Nations. And I said, I've got this book. Would there be any interest in it? And they said, yes, absolutely. And there was nothing on the market like it. So, um, you know, we, we signed a contract. We've been working together pretty closely ever since. Mm. And they, they published the book and um, the book's been very, very popular. I, I get feedback all the time that it's selling really, really well. Mm. And my response to that is, I am more interested in somebody buying one copy and putting it in the hands of a child who needs it than someone buying a thousand copies and sitting them up on a filing cabinet somewhere. 
So once that had all happened, I actually dedicated the book to the elder, Wendy Sarah Stewart. She is the one who introduced me to the ODR process. So once the book was published, printed, I took a copy. uh, We went up to visit her. And I handed her the copy and I said, is this what you were thinking? And she just, she slowly flipped through the book and she says, this is wonderful. I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad that it's, you know, and I gave her some feedback on, on how it was being received, but she was very, very grateful that I had followed through and that this book was now in, uh, in circulation and helping the kids that need it most. Mm, nice to hear. I'm glad to hear that it has been uh, received well and that uh, you're getting feedback on it. Um, and so how long has it been out altogether now, the book itself? Oh, gosh, a year and a half, I think, not quite, Yep, not quite a year and a half. And and, and if people are interested in getting hold of this, you already mentioned this, but goodminds.com is uh, is the place that they can go to. That's online. As you say, it's a book uh, resource that is on Six Nations, but uh, physically on Six Nations, but also has uh, online presence with a massive amount of Indigenous authors and, uh, and books available that they can find there. Oh, absolutely. Anything you could want for Indigenous resources from traditional um, storytelling, language, residential schools, if you want kids books, if you want graphic novels or even adult fantasy novels, they've got everything. They're the uh, largest Indigenous publisher across Turtle Island, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Joseph, for for the uh, Little Bear and Foster Care uh, books, um, as you just mentioned, you'd be happier to ha- get that into the hands of a child that could read it, uh, you know, into one where it could do some good. But I'm wondering what you see as the and how you would like to see this book utilized and how you hope it will help. Because it is a, is a book for the age range of about 6 to 11 or so. Is that what we're talking about? Uh, a little bit younger, but yes, there's uh, older kids are uh, reading it to um, a, um, a friend of mine her daughter asks her to read it to her every single night and she's not been impacted by foster care, but loves the book and the Mm. story. And I think it's one of those things that's important that not just indigenous kids in care Mm. read it, but all kids get a chance to read a book like this because then they can understand what it's like to be in foster care. Mm. Even as someone who's never been in there, they may have a friend at school. Like my friend, Tommy at school is indigenous and he's in foster care. Well, what does that mean? And what impacts does that have on my friend, Tommy? Mm. So I can have better understanding. And I think when that happens on that younger level, it grows with you rather mm-hmm. than having to try and undo certain beliefs and ideas into adulthood. Mm. So uh, so what I hear you saying is not only is this book uh, for the ch- children that are in foster care, but it's also a tool that could be used for education. And I guess that's where I was, what I was wondering about in terms of the use and how you saw it being utilized. Do you think this is something that could be read within a classroom setting or, or do you think that the stories uh, are more, more geared towards the, the one-on-one kind of a thing? Oh, absolutely. In classrooms, um, we're getting it into libraries, school libraries as a resource for understanding. I actually gave a copy away to a gentleman uh, during one of my speaking events. He gave it to his uh, eight-year-old daughter and she did a book report on it for her class. (laughs) So to me, that's beautiful because Mm. this whole class of eight-year-olds have been exposed to what it's like for someone to be in the foster system that just gives them that, that little bit extra understanding. So later on in life, if they come across someone, well, I used to be in foster care or I'm a kin provider, Mm -hmm. they have a better understanding rather than saying, I have no idea what that means. Say, Oh, I remember this book report that was done 
by a friend of mine and they were speaking about these things and it might even spur them a little bit to say one day, maybe I want to go into being mm. a foster parent or a, a provider of some sort to mm. people in care. Right. I'm wondering about your, your own um, education because you, 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 I, I'm not sure. Did you study writing? Uh, no, I didn't actually. What I did was I did a lot of reading. Mm hmm. And then I just sort of started to craft my own voice. Um, I was a musician for several years, nothing major, uh, doing solo work and band stuff. And I, and I just found that when you're playing a guitar, when you're singing or keyboard, there's a voice you establish um, that just becomes your sound. And it was the same with writing, where I'd write a story, I'd write, you know, 10 more stories, and I'd go back to the first one. And then I would, I would modify it and change it, edit it until I, I got to a point where I'm like, this is what I want to say and how I want to say it, and the uniqueness of my own voice. Mm. So really no official education or training of any kind beyond my interest in stories. I've always loved stories, mm. fantasy, sci-fi, romance stories, and just decided to craft my work. And I, uh, I, I'm not afraid of the editing process. I actually love being able to go through the stories over and over and over again and make them better and cut this out, make this make more sense. Mm. And I just think like... Um, like any muscle, if you work it, it becomes stronger. Mm. And I believe the same is true with writing. You write and write and write and write. You're going to perfect your own uh, your own voice eventually. Right now, the other thing I'm wondering about is because you have uh, you've been so prolific in in these different uh, genres of writing, uh, the fantasy, the sci-fi uh, series that you have, the drug series. Uh, ha has there been any interest in taking these off the page and turning them into some kind of a of a film project? You know. Um, just recently, I um, was speaking to uh, a few folks that um, are possibly looking to turn Little Bear in foster care into an animated series. Mm. Uh, there's some steps that need to be taken, certainly, but um, there's some interest there. I'm very excited about that possibility of being able to take a story this uh, profound, breaking it out into a series that captures the different elements, the different emotions that little bear experiences through his care with learning lessons that go along. So it can reach a, a much wider audience. And, you know, interestingly, my kids, when they were little, they would listen to uh, similar kids TV shows where they had some sort of learning lesson in it. and I'm in the kitchen doing dishes. And then I hear the learning lesson and I think, wow, I had no idea. Mm. So sometimes being able to have something like that on a screen for all viewers, there are lessons that everybody, regardless of how old you are, mm can glean from those right. and apply them. So that's the interest so far. I'm very excited about the potential of that becoming a, uh, an animated series for uh, young and old eyes alike. Right. Now, in terms of the other books that you have, um, the Drux series, one of them that we just mentioned, uh, where can people get a hold of those books? So um, they are in the process at goodminds.com of doing the artwork for the books. So currently, they're not available yet. However, oh, okay. if um, enough people are interested and were to send a message to Goodmind saying, I'm looking to get a hold of the first <laughs> book of the Druck series from S.P. Joseph Lyons called The Demand of Legend, um, then I can say, hey, Goodminds, uh, there's a lot of interest here. How soon can we get that first book into their hands? <laughs> so Goodminds will be the place where you'll be able to get that. They are children friendly. Um, so it's, they're meant for kids as well as teens or even adults that are into a good fast paced right. and somewhat indigenous based, uh, adventure coming of age series. So it's good for, uh, it's good for anyone. All right.
Joseph, we're going to have to leave it there, but it's been really fascinating speaking with you. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the show and talk to us about uh, your various uh, styles of uh, writing that you do and uh, the success that you've had. And also to tell us a little bit about your past and how that uh, intergenerational tra- uh, trauma and, and how you survived the uh, the residential school legacy and the uh, foster care uh, uh, system as well. Congratulations to the success you've had so far. And I just want to say uh, chimiguetch and yawago for taking the time to join us on the show. Thanks very much for having me. All right, you take care. That is S.P. Joseph Lyons. He is an Anishinaabe Algonquin children's author, as well as someone who writes in the areas of fantasy, science fiction, romance, and uh, he's also a speaker and an Indigenous education advocate. His uh, books that we were talking to him about today were the Drux series, the Notua Tales trilogy, as well as the Little Bear in Foster Care series. You can find that series on goodminds.com. And that is this portion of the show. Hey, don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth right after these messages. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. If you download the app, you can... Listen anywhere you go. It is a pleasure to have on the show with us Gord Grissenthate, and he is a member of Lytton First Nation, and he's here to talk about his uh, being nominated uh, for the Governor General's Award, which will be announced on November 17th. So it's a pleasure to have him here to talk about uh, his book, Home Waltz, in the fiction category, is nominated. So it's a pleasure to have Gord here to talk about that and other things, because as I mentioned, he is a member of a Lytton First Nation. And of course, we all know about Lytton First Nation and what happened out there over the summer with the fires, a devastating fire in the community. Although, uh, Gord at this point now lives in uh, Kingsville, Ontario. So, um, uh, I'm sure he may have some news about that. So, Gord, welcome to the show, first of all. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, how long have you been living in uh, Kingsville, Ontario? Six years. Ah, okay. So, you're not, you're not new to the area. You're, uh, you're, you're a relatively uh, a settled person in the area, I guess you would say. Yeah, I'm a settler on your territory. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, we're all cousins, right? Yeah. <laughs> so listen, congratulations on this. Well, thank you very much. How's that feel? Uh, I don't know yet. Uh, um, still, I'm still in the pinch me. This is a dream phase. Right. right. Um, I can't believe it's happening, mm. really. Being from Lytton First Nation, um, what do you know about the situation as it stands now out there? Um, not much has happened mm. in, in terms of... of uh, rebuilding in terms of money to help people rebuild. Mm. And um, I keep thinking of what happened at Fort McMurray oh, and yeah. how fast the whole country rallied to rebuild that city. Mm. Good point. And um, I'm thinking um, the BC government talks about being um, Indian friendly, but um, they're, I mean, they didn't even declare a state of emergency. They didn't uh, let Anybody except a few people know that the fire was coming and they should evacuate. So most of the people who were evacuated had like five minutes notice. Mm. Uh, That's how fast things moved. Mm. Um, So I don't have much 
faith in the progress of 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 rebuilding of support for for the for the people mm. and not not just the inkklapmuk but but the settlers who have made um litten their home mm. so i it's i'm glad i'm here really mm. um but it feels like a part of me was went went up with the town if that makes any sense to you mm. yeah i certainly can understand that um you have family uh, and uh, back there yes i have lots of family back there mm. um some on the west side mm-hmm. um which wasn't which wasn't destroyed and then some scattered about you know merit kamloops mm-hmm. um, other places yeah it wasn't there some uh, discussion about um how i believe it was there that it could have been a uh, a train that caused the fire that's what i heard and that's what's kind of making sense mm. but i don't have all the details right now because mm. um i'm not reading as closely as i ought to but it seems to me that the powers that be have already um said the train had nothing to do with it mm. so they don't have any any fiscal or moral responsibility for the fire mm. right it's not the first time this has happened mm. Well, um, uh, I appreciate you sharing what you have uh, and what you do know about the situation out there. I was I was hoping that as you were from the area, we just thought we'd get a little bit of an update uh, from your perspective. So I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Well, no worries. Uh, getting back to, of course, though, your, uh, the reason you're here, and that is to talk about uh, your uh, nomination as a first-time Governor General book finalist for your book, Home Waltz, in the fiction category. And... Um, and, and of course, that takes place, it sounds like, uh, back on the west side of the country, um, if I'm not mistaken. The, per- the premise is set there. Absolutely, yes. Now, the language, um, I have to say, it's fascinating to look at the name in the traditional languages be- because they're not letters that are used in the name. Yeah, that's, um, those are the sounds of yes. the language yes. because Inkoklatmokchin has no... Um, letters mm-hmm. um it's it's purely oral right and so translating the strictly oral into into um written took some work and i bet you almost have to be a linguist to um parse those sounds yeah so what was that process like for you then to to come up with something that would work for you it was entirely natural mm-hmm. um I mean, Inkelkamukchin isn't my first language, mm. uh, and it probably won't even be my second or third. Um, I'd probably be old and dead by the time I nail it. <laughs> uh, so I tried to remember um, the few times that I heard people speak it around me, um, because when when I grew up, um, you kept the language secret. Mm. And um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't in the circle at that point. Mm. So it wasn't until I was older that, um, well, that's not entirely true. No, uh, my Hazel tried teaching me mm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and and I picked up some words here and there, right. and I learned a couple of swears on on, on the mean streets of Lytton, <laughs> right. and and. Um, it stayed like that for many years. And then I started writing and the stories 
involving um, Skeeto and, and his friends and stuff demanded that I, they, they are represented in Inkle Machine where, mm. where it works and is necessary. So I found First Voices. Uh, it's a website that deals with languages and has um, glossaries, uh, dictionaries, um, songs, etc. In, in in a variety of languages, and uh, that's where I went and started to learn. And now, learning the language by word doesn't mean I'm learning the language; it means I'm learning the word. Yes, and so. Uh, when it came to, um, I had trans, I had um, uh, language keeper translate um, a sentence for me in in a poem I wrote about my grandmother's um, um, residential school experience, mm. and that's when I started to learn the language because she told me, "Many Jimmy, she's wonderful." Um, uh, she told me that that we don't have please in our language mm. because it sounds like begging. Mm. And uh, that, so that got me thinking about how, how else it differs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started taking a class um, at NVID that Mandy teaches. And uh, it was by teams and the internet was kind of, Excuse me, sketchy at the beginning of of the COVID um, crisis, and she was teaching us how to pronounce the sounds properly. Mm. And I was too late to register again this year, so I'll try again in the summer, or next fall, mm. Mm. or go home and just immerse myself in it for a while. Wow, that's that's a great way of of doing it, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you said that when you were growing up, that there was this secretive element around the language. Um, was that out of necessity? Do you think that was part of that whole uh, residential school upbringing that to try and protect the language by not, uh, you know, to, to keep that uh, safe? Or was there something else at play there? Oh, it's both residential school um, stigma mm-hmm. and not quite the law, but the law. Um, we were banned, like like across Indian country, we were banned from speaking the language mm-hmm. or our languages. Mm-hmm. And so, in, because instead of killing the language, um, it went underground yep. and it was kept, and you didn't you didn't s- s- speak it in public. Mm-hmm. Um, for fear of repercussions, I mean, um, I don't know my grandmother's experience except that she came out a white woman mm. and hated everything Indian mm. and and um, wouldn't speak the language, wouldn't know, mm. yeah, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so it was it was the result of of colonization, um, the result of. Um, the Indian Act mm-hmm. and and um, the power given to Indian agents, and even though most of this stuff is old news, sure, it I think it still has repercussions 
Mm-hmm. Today. So you mentioned uh, the the name of the uh, of the the lead character in in your book, uh, of course, in Home Waltz, and that is uh, Squiddo Bob, and he's a a person of mixed blood, and he's, he's just trying to find himself in this small town, which uh, if it's Lytton, then mostly, of course, native town, and he uh, has an experience with uh, in this book with uh, some of his closest friends, and I understand there's one non-native uh, kid that's in there as well. And and that the whole the whole story takes place within a thirty six hour time frame. That's correct. So, what can you tell us about this? Well, um, the story. Well, the story needed to move quickly in order to um, make sense. Mm. This is a weekend, mm-hmm. and and it's quite a um, special weekend for at least to the boys' thinking. Mm-hmm. Because of senior girls um, volleyball tournament, right? And and um, so teams coming in from throughout the district. Well, with all those girls, chances of getting lucky improve <laughs> by that much, right? And and so the boys um, plan on well getting lucky, mm. and and um, their dynamic. There's five friends, and um, Skeeto has. No clue where he stands, what they think of him, except what he thinks they think of him. And he doesn't, he feels like an outsider. Mm-hmm. And, and he feels like he's treated like an outsider. And he kind of is because he doesn't live on res. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his father um, opted out um, and franchised himself. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and and um, his mother, he doesn't know his mother. His mother's um, a Shema, a white woman, mm. who just disappears. Mm. Um, and the white kid is is one of those people that nobody likes because he's really annoying. Mm. But he's tolerated because he's still a person. Mm. And yeah, so that's the dynamic of the friends. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And it is a pleasure to have on the show with me, uh, Gord Grisenthate. And we are talking about his book, Home Waltz. And it is a first-time uh, Governor General's uh, finalist for the uh, Governor General's Awards that uh, has been chosen for this year. And they're going to be announced on November 17th. So uh, congratulations to Gord for this nomination. And uh, Gord has had stories and poems appeared in the Antigonish Review, um, Our Stories Literary Journal, uh, Prism International, and his work has have earned a number of prizes, including the 2014 John Kenneth Gilbreth Literary Award. And he lives in uh, Kingsville, Ontario. However, he is originally from uh, Lytton First Nation out in British Columbia. So it's a pleasure to have Gord here talking about the book. Uh, Gord, you said when you said that Guido um, is not, he doesn't know what, what they think of him. Who are you referring to when you said they? Overall, everybody, but mm. mostly his friends. He thinks, well, he thinks everybody hates him because um, he just doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. Mm-hmm. His his grandmother and his aunt and uncle um, love him and watch out for him. His his father is not a nice person. Mm-hmm. I actually tried to write a story um, humanizing um, Skeeter's father. Mm. 
it just didn't work out that way. So wow. I, I came to the conclusion that, you know what? Some people are just monsters mm. and let them be monsters. Wow. And so Skeeto's father is a monster. Right. It, it seems to me because of how you, you were just talking about him is that, and he doesn't belong anywhere. So I'm, what I'm saying is, I, I guess I, I think that there's other people that have been like that, that haven't had the opportunity to be connected to their community or their culture or their heritage. And so they would find themselves probably in, in a similar situation as, as you're painting a squid bob I like the way you're thinking, David. Um, I can't speak for them because mm. I'm not them. Mm. And I don't think um, Mosquito's um, position is unique to him. Mm. Um, but I wasn't trying to make anything more than, than uh, a fully confused kid mm. when, when Mosquito evolved or started to evolve. But I mean, it, it also sounds like, uh, as, you, as you pointed out, this is a weekend um, and there is this volleyball team of, of girls that have come into town. So he and his friends are, uh, are, are looking with some uh, excitement about the possibilities of what might happen over the next 36 hours. Mm, yes, they want to set their trap lines. <laughs> okay. However, uh, as, the, uh, as it's described and, and as you, we find out in the story, of course, there's many things that are involved in the story. It's about suicide and alcoholism and, 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 and a, a coming-of-age story all mixed into here at the same time. Yeah, I'm not happy about the coming-of-age phrase. Mm. Uh, I think that's, that's an easy label to put mm-hmm. on anything involving mm-hmm. teenagers or, right. or um, adolescents. Right. Um, it probably fits the category. Um, I like that, that Skeeto has been compared to um, Holden Caulfield mm. in, in Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Rye. Um, that kind of makes me happy inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's about the dynamics of friendship, the dynamics of um, of well of of snagging and love <laughs> um and and um in in through this skeetle learns the difference between between a snag and 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 a partner girlfriend mm, mm. and ultimately despite despite what he puts himself through what he goes through he comes out of the story with hope mm-hmm. and um ultimately I think that's what makes this book readable. <laughs> right. Um, it could be, it could be, you know, um, well, I've just finished a book that's just um, disaster on disaster mm-hmm. on disaster. And you wonder why the kid in that book hasn't just up and killed himself already. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, it's a point of life if, if, if there's no hope. Mm-hmm. And, um, no hope um, is something that frightens me because um, I have, you know, I lived on a res. I'm not going to say which one. I don't want to. Yep. Um, and what I saw was a bunch of people my age, a little older, a little younger, um, living without hope. Mm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were alcoholics. Um, but that the alcohol was was just 
well, self-medication more than, right. more than anything. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, res life can still be like this um, angers me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, what the solution to that is. Now you mentioned uh, that Skiddo finds hope. I guess I think that's what you said. So there's some hope in that in the book. I wrote down value. You said that. Does he find some personal value as well? Would you say? Um, maybe virtue. Mm. I think he doesn't realize um, how much. Well, uh, I guess it depends on how how we're using that value in 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 the sense um i'm not sure that he feels his life has purpose yet right but um he's open to the possibility so he's not he's not looking um so much to be like to find love or to find a partner to find a girlfriend mm-hmm. um and have real sex because what he's had before well um was real, but he was just too drunk and doesn't remember. Um, uh, so he doesn't count it. Mm. But but he learns the difference between, as I said, between between um, a snag and a partner. Mm. And he learns that that um, women certainly have value mm. and don't deserve to be um, used and abused mm. for 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 someone's pleasure mm. well certainly sounds like there's a lot in there for people to uh to connect with and to uh, deal with in the story i'm wondering where your interest in in writing and uh finding reading as, as a as a means of expressing that um for yourself um you know this is another one of those questions that really isn't easy to answer mm. I didn't believe I could write. I didn't believe I was a writer. And when I was in grade two, my grade two teacher, um, I can't remember her name, starts with a B, um, asked us to stand and spell our middle names. Mm. And I spelled my middle name, um, which is Arthur, mm. as A-U-T-H-O-R, mm. which is author. Mm. <laughs> and um, I didn't think anything of it. The class had a good laugh. Why not? Uh, and I was writing letters and stuff to the editor, editor of local newspapers, um, you know, um, complaining about the, our treatment by cops and, and, mm. and, and all that. Mm. Um, and people would say, wow, I didn't know you knew all those big words. And I, mm. what big words? And then I went to college. And my first year instructor, um, English instructor, had us write poems about about um, specific people from Canada's earlier history. Mm. And I chose um, a giantess who was in a circus. And um, I wrote a poem about her. And um, the teacher loved it. And I thought she was crazy. <laughs> What's to love about this? And um, she she asked to keep it, and I said, "Sure, why not?" And um, then she said, "Have you ever considered taking creative writing?" And I said, "No." 
And she goes, well, you should. So I did. And um, uh, I wrote, you know, un, uneducated, um, raw stuff. But my instructor, Pierre Coupe, saw something in, in my words. I saw something in in um in in my writing voice which which is really strong um has gotten really strong in in Skeeto. but um after college i quit writing and it wasn't until after the firestorm in 2003 in in Kelowna, where i was staying at the time um that i started writing i wrote an essay um about my experience as, as an evacuee mm. and um, it was put in a, in an anthology mm. that the editor said was the only one they had that didn't need any editing. And, and that made me proud for a minute. Mm. And um, then I wrote a rash of stories um, that belong in another um, collect well a collection of of um, mosquito stories that that ties in with um, Homewaltz and and my next project, mm. um, which is called "I Love You and Other Lies," <laughs> and um, it's yeah that one's well delayed because I'm just not in the game right now, <laughs> <laughs> but I was hoping to have it. Uh, have it ready for for publishers by the end of the year right. anyway i've digressed back to yeah so i didn't believe i was a writer and i was winning prizes and and my well my stories were winning prizes and and were shortlisted in in contests and i didn't believe i was a writer and um then my wife got tired of me saying that and she just kept saying you're a writer you're a writer you're a writer you're a writer hmm. so I quit my job as a as a graphic design instructor and um, started writing to the full time in 2012. And so, yeah, I'm a writer now. <laughs> I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but it's 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 how it evolved. Um, it hit me by surprise. Yeah, interesting. Uh, that's a, a fascinating story. I really appreciate you sharing that. It sounds to me like there's uh, uh, something more for us to uh, elaborate on and talk about uh, in another conversation, uh, Gord, because our, our time is up here. But I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show and talk about uh, your uh, first time uh, Governor General Book uh, finalist uh, uh, um, no, nomination uh, for this year of 2021 for Home Waltz, uh, and uh, that's in the fiction category. We're going to find out about who uh, who's going to come out on top on November 17th of this year, and we look uh, forward to hearing about that, and I wish you all the best with it. But the reason I say there's more for us to talk about, because it sounds to me there's some similarities there in what you were how you were describing your, your uh, disbelief in yourself uh, with uh, Squiddo and uh in this book as well um so uh you know and i can heavily relate to exactly what you were saying um boy can mm -hmm. i ever when i hear that story i i go uh yeah i my hand goes up and i go yeah that's me that's mm -hmm. me so uh congratulations and shimigwechi now i go for taking the time to join us on the show and and all the best i look forward to uh having you back on the show to talk about your upcoming stuff and maybe to just explore talking more about uh, your own personal life if that's something you care to do 
works, Jim. I don't know who would be interested in my personal life, but I would love to talk about my work again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I really appreciate um, your conversation. It's been great. Great. Well, thank you so much and, uh, and all the best. And, uh, and as I say, uh, congratulations. And uh, we look forward to hearing what happens on November 17th. Oh, quick, Jim. Thank you. All right. You take care. You too, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Gord uh, Grisenthwaite, and he is a uh, Governor General book finalist uh, debut for his debut novel of Home Waltz in the fiction category. And we're going to find out about like that, as I said, on November 17th. And uh, you can pick up the book, I believe, at just about any bookstore, Home Waltz. And that is our show for today. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll see you again tomorrow right here on Moment of Truth. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.